0: Welcome to Behind the Build, a podcast by the Webster Auto Collective. I'm your host, Sam Webster, and I'm excited to take you on a journey behind the scenes of the automotive world. Each episode, will dive deep into the minds of automotive enthusiasts and professionals exploring their passion, creativity, and automotive culture. We believe that Behind Every Great Build is an even better story worth sharing, and we're here to uncover those stories. From classic cars to modern machines, from racers to collectors, we'll bring you the stories that make the automotive world so exciting and diverse. Whether you're a seasoned gearhead or just love cars, we invite you to take a dive into the minds of a modern-day car enthusiast. All right, so welcome to the Behind the Build podcast. On this episode, we're talking with Kerry Rouse. Kerry's a race car driver, entrepreneur, and lifelong car enthusiast. He's also the host of another automotive podcast called Driven to Compete, where he discusses the competitive spirit in motorsports with other racers and high achievers. I'm really excited to talk to Kerry about racing and how other people like me that are new to the sport can get involved both on the track and off. I'm really excited to dive into the mind of another car enthusiast. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks,
1: man. It's, it's really great to be here. It's a pleasure to be on your, on your podcast. I'm a driver. I've always wanted to race forever, and I just always made excuses. You know, oh, you know, I don't have the extra money or the time, or it's way too expensive, or whatever. And uh, gosh, it was a little over two years ago. I was 49 years old. It's in the fall. I at the mo- at that time I wasn't even employed, and I was just like, "Screw it! I, I am absolutely going to do this. I'm going to start calling around and asking." And I actually had two or three people point me to the same person that I should talk to to kind of get started, and he happened to be in Austin where I live, so it was pretty easy. I could go say hi to him and shake his hand and talk to him. And so I got started really, as soon as I talked to him, I knew I wanted to do it. Um, the first thing that was suggested that I do is you know, take my personal car to the track on one of those track days, kind of see, you know, am I, am I okay trying to push the car and things like this? And I had to get a couple things done to the car first for safety reasons. But um, I did that and I had, a, I had a lot of fun doing it, but what you put your car through on the track is like 10 times the intensity of anything you'll do on the road. And you begin to wonder like how much longer the car is going to last. So uh, that was my only car at the time. So I decided, look, I've got to transition to a race car. And uh, that's when I entered that world. And yeah, there's a, there's a whole story behind all that. And I'm a spreadsheet guy, and so I kept track of every single penny. So I'm sure that's useful information to some
0: people. So, were you, so you raced your car once on the trainer, took it out there, just, you know, pay for a couple laps, screws around on your own, no instruction, type of thing?
1: Well, no, those, those, they're like hot, they're called high speed um, driver education days. And there's two or three organizations in the US, maybe three or four that are pretty big. And they go from track to track to track to track, and they have people sign up. And you bring your personal car. You can bring your race car if you want to. And um, it is if you you want to have a sit-in instructor sitting in your car while you're doing it, you pay a little extra for that. And that's what I did. I wanted to have somebody kind of help me because I had no idea what I was doing or how hard I could push or anything like that. So, um, and then you get several sessions. I mean, they rent the track for the day and they divide you into groups based upon your experience level and your speed. Um, so they're not going to be, they're trying not to mix people that are really fast and really slow because that's just dangerous. So I was in the beginner group. I had an instructor with me. Um, you are required to have a helmet. And so that's something I had to get before I could start. But yeah, you have like four sessions, four sessions, these sessions like 20 to 30 minutes and you're out there just doing laps and trying to get faster and learning a little bit more about driving on a track.
0: so have you always wanted to go and do the race car thing? Have you been, have you had a passion for cars your whole life pretty much?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can say that I never really had money to do much with cars most of my life, but, um, you know, my, my cars were not really necessarily sports cars, but I like driving fast, and I still do, and I probably drive a little bit too fast on the roads, but now I can use a lot of that um, aggressiveness on the track. So it's, it's a great outlet. Um, I've always been, you know, the Cannonball Run movies, uh, I always thought that would be just the coolest thing ever. So yeah, it's really since back then. Whenever I was interested in speed and
0: fast cars, I've always I've loved the story of the Cannonball Runs. I think it's so cool, and it's created me that they can go coast to coast in like 36 hours. I mean, well, I that didn't... record's been broken even like during COVID. <laughs> it broke like four or five times because nobody was on the road, and yeah. the police weren't pulling people over. I can't remember what the record is now, but it's like 20. Four hours 23 hours something like that
1: it's between 23 and 24 hours and what is it 2400
0: or 2600 miles i can't remember off right. the top of my head oh that is crazy yeah. yeah it's a long ways i know it was I, I, the guy the last story that i heard the guy was using a an audi a8 the long wheelbase one and you know it seems like you'd want to be in some sort of car that like a ferrari or a lamborghini but the idea behind it was that they just want to look inconspicuous. Right. And so they taped up the front grill. So it looked like a, a cop car and it was a rental and it put a big fuel cell in the back seat, taped up the front of it. And then just, I mean, I think their tops or their, their average speed is over 120 miles an hour, or like 23 yeah. hours, something like that. That's, that's amazing. It's yeah. Amazing. It's crazy. So, I mean, obviously that's not a super safe thing to do across the country. Yeah, a lot safer for other no. people for sure. Plus, you've got all the this right.
1: roll cages and stuff.
0: Right. So, what do you? So, you're not driving your own car in these events now, right?
1: I don't. No, there's several people. That that, I, I just I just decided. Well, first of all, I was told by several people in the business that look, you don't even know if you're going to like this class, right? You don't even know if you're going to like this car in this class. You should really just make sure you like it before you dump a bunch of money in it, which is great advice. So I started just by renting, and that's, that's super common. You know, probably half the people on the track, maybe not quite half of them, just rent from people who have more cars that show up to the racetrack, and they, they've already prearranged ahead of time to have these people show up. Now, you're not going to show up with a, as, a, as a stranger to a racetrack and get in somebody else's car. There has to be some sort of, um, you know, some, some way to get to know each other so you can trust each other ahead of time but it was great to have, um, Chris Taylor is who I'm using here in Austin. And, um, it, so I rented, he had a, a Mazda two, which was the car that I, uh, I've been driving ever since. I drove that for the first two seasons. It's funny though, but I haven't, I haven't been in the same Mazda two. I've been in three different Mazda twos. Um, it's funny how race cars get recycled and sold and and then you know something re engine gets rebuilt and it gets sent off to somebody else so um it's it just kind of stays in the family because there's only a certain number of the appropriate model and year of car that are available based upon specifications of the rules on what's allowed and what's not allowed so um i think mine's a 2013 Mazda 2 or something like that but there's there's only like three or four years where you could use the Mazda 2s and yeah the way it works is I just arrive and drive is what they call it so maybe I'll drive to the track and it's not that far or we have some races in Florida so I'll fly down to Florida and I show up at the track and the car is ready to go I've got my own safety equipment, my helmet, my gloves, shoes, fireproof suit, um, and a Hansa device you protect your neck. And it's uh, basically they're there to support you completely. He has a full crew. They're always, you know, got the car gassed up. I mean, I literally have had an entire transmission replaced from a qualifying session in the morning to the race in the afternoon. I mean, that's just how good they are. And um, they can handle just about any issue that comes up.
0: So is this a national organization that you're working with that has a bunch of cars that you run from, or is it like a, a small if, team of just individual people?
1: It's, it's, a, it's a small team. So Chris, Chris Taylor Racing is, uh, is a company, and there's m- no, more outfits like that around the U.S., but he has a lot of different cars. Like when he goes to support a race at Circuit of Americas, um, so that's, that's the team, but that team races different classes of cars. The class of car that I'm in is called B-Spec. I don't ask me what the B-Spec stands for, but the type of cars that are in there are like the Honda Fit, the Marsda 2, the Yaris, the um mini cooper so uh the ford fiesta these are the kind of cars around they're all front wheel drive cars and they're low power and they're low speed but you still drive them to the limit on every corner like usually in these cars you've got one or two wheels in the air around most of the corners. and you're, you're you're still racing door-to-door with somebody around the track. But that's the class that I'm in. And then there may be several teams or individuals who come to race in that class with cars that are appropriate for that class. And then there are other classes like Spec Miata or T1 or T2 cars and um, production cars. So there's all these different classes. And all those classes... Um, are a part of a racing organization, and the racing organization that I'm in is the Sports Car Club of America (SCCA). And they, um, it's kind of similar. Like it's kind of similar to the track days, where these these organizations they go to a track, they basically rent the track for a weekend, and they have all these people come with their own cars. And there's you know there's some organization in it and putting people in different groups, and it's not a race though. It's just it's just trying to get better out there. You're not racing door to door. Where the SCCA is very similar, they'll travel from track to track to track. They'll rent the track because they don't own the track, and then they'll have the drivers come in who are going to be competing head to head. So it's very similar in that um, the way that the arrangement set up. But yeah, so I I have a specific car in a specific class owned by a specific race team. And we are in the SCCA racing organization. There are other racing organizations out there, some of them pro, some of them amateur, maybe some of them mixed, but we're all amateurs.
0: Is the SCCA the best... Place for people to start if they just wanted to get into racing. Um,
1: I think or, that, I, I think it's probably one of the cheapest. It's also the biggest organization. There are, I think, the last time I saw an active like sixty thousand racers, which is, I mean, the organization is much bigger than that. But in terms of racers, or maybe sixty thousand, and you have races all different types all around the U.S. So that's another thing. We do road racing. We're on tracks like Circuit of Americas, um, Road Atlanta, VIR uh, in Virginia. And these are all twisty, turny roads. Um, and it's a circuit. Um, just similar to you know, what F1 would drive on. But there's also, there's dirt, there's oval, there's time trial format, where you're not racing door to door, but you're just trying to beat somebody else's time. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different there's autocross, there's um, motocross, there's, there's a little bit of everything. And uh, we're, we're in the road racing portion of that. But SCCA is so big, there's a little something for everybody. And It sounds uh, like a lot of fun. Oh, it it is, it is a blast, man. I, yeah,
0: and it sounds like at any, any price point. Also, I mean, you can Miatas, Mazda two, you can start there and it's probably actually a better way to get into it rather than jumping into some high horsepower vehicle and going for it. You well, to build this, build some of the driving skills first in you know, a slower vehicle, and then yeah. work your way up.
1: Yeah, I think as Chris would say, Chris Taylor. He he told me when I first started, if you can drive a slow car fast, you can drive a fast car fast. So, uh, one thing that. Um, people with high horsepower cars just don't do enough of is momentum driving. In other words, they're not, they're not keeping enough speed to the corner. They're depending on the gas pedal after they get out of it. And they're just not as fast. So the fastest drivers hold that
0: speed in the corners. What kind of speeds do you hit in Mazda 2? Are you on some fastest tracks? I
1: mean, the, the, well, we're actually limited by, um, the aerodynamics, because the cars are so low-powered, um, we're talking like 105 horsepower cars, and maybe 112 is the fastest you'd get um, at a couple of different places around the U.S. You're not going to get much faster, or you can't really get much faster than that. If you just put them on an open road and floored it, that's about as fast as they would go with the wind resistance. But um, you go on past a wall with somebody right next to you at 110 miles an hour, it's still interesting
0: yeah absolutely. That sounds like <laughs> like that's a little blast. and so you're not doing any uh, like time attack stuff. It's not one person on the track has any getting time going off as of fast as no. all door to door stuff.
1: no, but they do do that format, but i don't I don't race in that format. I mean, I may still enjoy that, but i it's really exciting to try to get around somebody and to try to prevent somebody from getting around you. It is it's a lot of fun
0: i. I love cars i'm not a brain loyalist by any means and one of the cars that i have that's at one of my absolute favorites is a daihatsu hijet which is a, a japanese k car or k truck it's mm-hmm. like 40 horsepower a five-speed manual and you sit on top of their the engine and i love it it feels like you're at like 40 miles an hour it feels like you're going 100 miles an hour <laughs> it's just like this visceral experience and i'm sure it's similar to you know the spec b class where you're just giving it everything that it can the motor screening and it's just, just, you just feel it. You know, you're like a part of the car. Whereas some of the other cars that I've got, you're just in this nice box and you're just kind of floating down the road. And Most of the time, Oh, like we got a Range Rover and I choose my K truck over the Range Rover a lot of the time because I think it's more fun to drive. <laughs> it's just, it's just slow and know, it's, it turns more heads than anything I've ever driven before. Dude, it's, just, yeah. it's so silly. Um, But I love it. it. So, is getting into racing like you've done it a a cost-effective way for people to start? Yeah, I think uh, renting. So you you rent the vehicles. They do all the repairs. They do all the maintenance. They show up with the car to the track. You just you're there to drive with your own safety equipment.
1: That's all I do is I drive. So um, there, I have no other responsibilities other than that. So I I will say this. Um. You know, all the things you have to pay for. I mean so uh, I I I would say the average between my first two seasons and I did seven to eight race weekends total. I live in Austin. I I've done um, two races in Florida and the this the reason I'm telling you the distance is because one of the biggest expenses is hauling the cars there and back. So that can get expensive for really um, distant places to go to, but two races in Florida, one in Indianapolis, and then uh, two, three in Texas, and then one in Oklahoma. So uh, seven seven race weekends, and one of those was the national runoffs, and it's like a ten day event. Um, it would happen in Indianapolis, so I got. All that, and the racing usually consists of showing up and you get practice sessions. So you get track time just to practice, um, but you're out there with other cars, so there's still a danger with it on, let's just say, Thursday or Friday, depending on if it's a, a three-day weekend or not. And then you either have, it's Fridays through Sunday or Saturday and Sunday where you combine typically two different qualifying sessions and two different races. So that's a total of four sessions for those. A session is just, you know, one qualifying session or one race, for example. And then the practice sessions are, are, are similar to that. So you get like six sessions and they last anywhere from 20 minutes to 35 minutes on the track. Wow. So you get a lot of seat time. Yeah. Now it doesn't, you don't get as much seat time as you would maybe in an endurance type race where you're out there for two hours at a stint, um, maybe two days in a row. But if you add up all the different sessions, you get quite a bit of time. And considering I kept track of my travel costs, so my flights... Um, my rental car when I was there, my Airbnb when I was there, all of my food when I was on the road, the cost for renting the race car, the cost for entering into the um, into the race, the cost you always have to pay a little extra if you want to participate in the practice day. Um, you know, usually you're going to end up getting some pictures, so you pay for that. And what's beautiful about these beast cars is they barely go through tires. I I can go two race weekends and then maybe have to change two of the tires. Where you getting these high-powered cars that go out there, you literally would have to change potentially all four tires in between every single session. And their tires are like four times the price of our tires. So That's amazing. B spec is incredibly affordable. So I'll just tell you, the whole season cost me about thirty seven thousand dollars. I think that is an incredible deal for the experience I got and all the different places I got to travel. And um, so it was, it was a great deal. I mean, you could spend thirty seven thousand dollars on a bumper on on the right kind of car, right? Um, oh yeah. So. Well, it's- I, I, I should so go
0: ahead. Oh, it's a cars cars are inherently expensive, but as soon as you start racing and those numbers start to get bigger and bigger and bigger faster, and thirty seven thousand dollars is not that much money for being able to go out and you know rip rip on a car and not have to worry about it. You get yeah. keys back when you're done, and you, know, you don't have to worry about it. You None know the maintenance, and you don't have the time associated with it. Also, That's of right. doing all the repairs and dragging a trailer across the country. And doing all that. No, No. no.
1: I will say one thing that I didn't know going into it that everybody should know. And that is when you're racing, when you are driving a car, if anything happens to that car, even if you get hit from behind, you are responsible for all the cost of repairing that car. So that's something that people need to keep in mind. Um, You know it's it's best to try to to try to race as clean as possible but things things happen um last year in february i was racing at circuit of americas in austin and we came to the i think it corner corner turn 12 which is the end of the really long straight at circuit of americas and i had a car behind me that just did not did not break and uh he hit me, and um, there was just so momentum, so much momentum, because I had already started to turn that it just spun the car around in a really weird position, and then it flipped the car, and I slid up upside down on the hood for a, um, for a while. And, you know, I was fine. That In fact, it was just, you know, you're so safe inside of those cars. Nothing, absolutely nothing touched me. And... Um, you know, they helped me get out of the car and everything. And even with that incident, my total cost for the whole season was probably $3,000 more. I mean, it's, it's well, one I got hit from behind. So there was nothing, not, not too much damage to the engine or anything. But um, it's, it's just amazing how much those things can deal with. And it doesn't cost that much sometimes to repair them.
0: And I think in a previous conversation, you told me that to fix it, they essentially just put a new roof skin on it, new hood, new trunk lid. Yeah, they basically. And it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it, it it the the cars are so sturdy, and especially the B spec class, that the crush zone didn't even reach the 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 uh, roll cage. So all they had to do is pound it back out, and then try to whatever they do to smooth it out on the surface. I think they did have to replace, you know, a panel or a hood or something like that in the windshield, but the roof they just kind of pounded back out. Well, that's not too bad.
0: That is—that's something I hadn't considered. Is that you're responsible for any of the costs? That's right, racing. Yeah. Insurance companies will not insure race cars.
1: Well, they won't insure wheel-to-wheel racing. I—I I think it's might be possible to get insurance mm. if it's not wheel-to-wheel. I—I um, I will tell you that on the practice days. Um, So the racing, it's interesting, the racing organization, SCCA, rents the track for the racing days. But the day prior to that, it's one of these other organizations that do the high-speed driver education thing. They rent the track the day before, and then they're renting it out for practice purposes. And they have a special insurance that will protect the track as well Um, you're not gonna be able to protect the car if you're wheel to wheel but at least the trap is protected why that's important is that for example circuit of america's if you spin off and you smash into one of their guardrails every whatever length it is i don't know how long each one of those are every one of them is one or two thousand dollars and you owe that as well if it's during a race now if it's on the practice day the practice organization that that rented the track protects it with insurance um but not not on race day
0: <laughs> have you ever had to pay for any track repair
1: um, no i haven't i have not slid far enough to hit anything
0: <laughs> that's probably a good thing
1: yeah yeah you know, I've, I've been hit by another car a couple of times and um, in the track itself, but didn't get shoved off.
0: So Miata racing, Miatas is another really popular thing. We've got some friends that do that. What is that a, something that's more expensive than racing piece beast, beast Pack, back? Yeah. Or is it a similar
1: cost? It's more expensive. It's more expensive. probably two or three times more expensive to have a really competitive car. And that's the other thing too, with Miata's, um, from what I've heard from a lot of people that have been in this for a while, the really, really competitive people end up in Miatas. And then, you know, they, they, a lot of those people move on to do other things that are really competitive. And um, you got to have, like, you have to have everything to, to like, because it's so competitive. There's so many good people in it that your car has to have a little bit of an edge. And that just takes, usually more money. So my understanding, and, and I don't race Miatas, and I would like to. I haven't yet. I want to do it. It's a totally different experience, a real, rear-wheel drive. Um, in fact, I don't even think I've ever even driven a Miata. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a more expensive. But still, it's, it's not as expensive as probably almost any other thing. So I would say the next group up might be the spec Miata group.
0: So, inspect B. What are what are the requirements? Is it essentially just stock everything with some safety features, a roll cage, and harnesses? Or- so every because we're a mixed manufacturer
1: class, um, it's it's difficult to make everything even. So they have a host of different ways where they try to limit some cars and maybe help others. And like um, last year, there was. You know, you, had to, you have to have the minimum, the minimum weight was a hundred pounds more than it was this year. And they, they, they took that weight off because they realized the, the Mazda 2s were competitive without it. And then others, almost all of them have, believe it or not, they have a restrictor plate. On these cars that barely make any horsepower, they're putting restrictor plates on them because they have just a little bit more than they should to be competitive. Um, but other than that, it's suspension, um, slicks, tires, and uh, roll cage. And then, you know, there, is, there aren't very many other modifications that you're allowed to make on them.
0: Now you make me, you're you making me warmer. Get into this. Uh, man, it's... it's uh, the, the other thing about this is,
1: uh, I talked to somebody else who races in a different group, and he has a different race car, and he has a, um, a B-spec car. And he, it, it takes him probably 20 hours of prep in between races to get his car ready for the next race. There's a lot of work that has to be done to a car in between races. Uh, that is not, <laughs> that's not true for B-spec. It's kind of like you... You get done racing, you roll it up on the, the trailer, and you take it to the next race. You roll it off, check the you know check a couple of things, maybe throw a new t- couple new tires on, and you you go. I mean, it it's so easy compared to to almost all the other classes. That sounds like a lot of fun.
0: I'm, my world is more off road, mm-hmm. um, so I'm building a pre runner at the moment, and it going to be around some really cool off road race cars and our fabricators and it is so easy to spend money. I mean, some of these cars that I've seen that were in a shop that I was working out of, um, I mean, it had a custom third member in the rear axle. It was like $30,000 just for the third member, custom axle. I mean, the whole, the whole axle itself was like 60 grand custom. I mean, the truck It's actually an interesting story because, uh, A mentor of mine bought the truck Uh, years ago and started building it into a pre-runner. He was a printer salesman and just loved cars and wanted to fabricate. So he bought tools and just kind of taught himself how to do it and uh, found other mentors along the way to help him. And so it was a Ford F-100, like a 76 or something like that. And this truck was his first thing, his first build, full tube frame, chassis, like beautiful, beautiful truck. And the TV show the Diesel Brothers. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Uh, I have So the Diesel Brothers are it's a, it's a Discovery Channel TV show where they build just ridiculous diesel trucks, like you know, 1,500 horsepower, four door, six door, eight door, like just ridiculous trucks. Uh, super successful dudes. They, they're here in Salt Lake City. It's not too far from where I live. And they decided to buy that truck from my buddy, Donnie Herbert is, is his name. And so they bought the truck from Donnie and then they wanted to go racing, go do the Mint 400 in Vegas. And they, with like two weeks before the race, decided that they were going to fully redo it. And they spent something like $300,000 in the course of a few weeks building this truck. And I know some of the fabricators from the diesel brothers hung around them a little bit and he said it was just an all out thrash for like two weeks solid. Um, just dumping money into it. Beautiful take welding, Beautiful. everything. And they went out and raced it and they, the drive shaft corned was wrong. <laughs> and so they made it about a quarter of a mile before they broke the drive shaft. Okay. Because I mean, it's like thirty-six inches of travel in the rear, thirty inches, something like that, and it was—I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars and weeks worth of work for nothing. It just blew it up, and uh, that truck ended up in our shop that I was working out of for a while. So I got to go over it with a fine-tooth comb. Uh, one of the fabricator guys that actually worked on—he it. built most of it—was in the shop also, and so. I got to ask him all these questions about you know, why is this tube here? How do you think about this? How much money goes on all of this stuff? Uh, but it was a really great experience to see a vehicle that was pretty iconic, um, and get to hang out with it for it was a couple months. It was there. So I'd just go sit in it and, and just feel what it's like to be inside of like a real hardcore, you know, multi hundred thousand dollar race track. Um, and they, the diesel brothers, their TV show is over. And so they auctioned off with a bunch of their vehicles. And this F-100 is one of those vehicles that they auctioned off and, uh, a friend of a friend's bought it for like $90,000 and there's hundreds of thousands of dollars into it. And they, the first thing that they did is cut the entire thing apart and start over, <laughs> it's just, it's stupid amounts of money go into these projects. Um, these guys, they're they're uh, off road racers. Christie Racing is their organization, and the guy is an LA film. Uh, he works does something with like uh, databases for big studios, and does makes a killing and has a fleet of race trucks. And he one of the things that they try to do with all their race trucks is have everything the same. So the rear axles are all the same, the transmissions are all the same, the motors are all the same, and so. When they go out, they have spares for anything. doesn't matter what breaks, you know, they go to their shower, they take their own piece in there. And so I'm, I don't know how much they have spent on it, but it's got to be hundreds of thousands of dollars redoing this truck. That's already had hundreds of thousands of dollars into it. And they're going to go out and start releasing it. They're, they're getting close to finishing it since the photos. And you know, my, my project right now is I don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to put into it. And I think it would be totally silly, but hopefully one day. I'll be able to do that. So I'm building my truck to be able to go race. Um, if roll cage is all to I be mean, is being built to spec, I can't run, I'm not going to be competitive. Because I, I cut the frame off. So I back half the truck. So right out at back of the cab, the frame is gone. And it's all tube chassis. And that eliminated me from running in a stock class, I could have run in a stock class if I had leaf springs and the stock rear frame and i could have c-notched to get a little bit of more a little bit more you know, suspension travel but like i'm going to do this i'm going to go all the way and so back after it. so i'd be running in a class called 1450 uh, which is essentially an unlimited class uh, which they broke up into two separate classes now 1450 and 1450 pro the 1450 pro guys are essentially keeping up with trophy chucks and it's unbelievable then most of them are hobbyist dudes They have normal jobs. They just dump everything that they have into these trucks. Guys, Eisenhower's, Nick Eisenhower and Chris Eisenhower, they have, they have Ford F-100s. Yeah, I took them out. They're, they're amazing. Um, these guys are hanging with some of the top dogs in the world and straight build these trucks in, in their shop behind their house. And so it's really inspiring to know that you can go out there and just put in the work to go and learn how to build it, learn how to fabricate and you know through this podcast as you know like it, it's a great way to make connections with people that have the information that we want and the way to get some sort of mentorship to take those to get to where you want faster and so i'm hoping that i can bring in some of the off-road community in the future especially off-road racing um and learn from them hear their stories and you know, i'd love to have guys like the eyes of the on here and, them and pick their brain because it's it's a whole other world but, I mean, you can also, in off-road racing, it's just like racing on the track. There's cheap options also. You can go and race your stock Tacoma, you know? Put a, a roll cage in it, harnesses, and tons device, and a helmet, and off you go. You can go run the in 1000 if you want to. Um, and it's gonna suck because it's just brutal for a thousand miles, and you're gonna be moving slow. But, you know, it's it's definitely an, an option. An option that probably would've been smart for me in the beginning. Um, to, to do because it would have been way less expensive and I could have learned how to drive. Instead, what I've done is I've spent the last two years building a truck that I've yet to drive and now it's sitting in a friend's garage until I can figure out a new shop space that I can work out of or wait until winter ends. I can build it in my driveway. So if there's something to be said for doing what you're doing, which is going and finding a car that you can just go drive. You don't have to worry about it. You don't need the fabrication skills. You don't need a shop and all the tools you can just pay someone for the convenience of showing up at a track and just drive, which I wish I can do. I'm stuck in, I'm stuck now because I can't, I can't drive it. And I can't drive it until I have the time in the morning to finish the project, yeah. which is going to take a while for me to get there. So have you, have you had other project cars that you've worked on throughout the years? No. I mean,
1: I'll be honest with you. I'm, I love driving cars, but I've never really worked on cars that much. I mean, I'm, I'm completely a newbie in that area, so, so renting and not owning was, was definitely the right choice for me for that reason as well. So um, I try to pick up what I can from the, the race team, but those guys are under the gun. Like, I've seen them switch out an entire motor um, in one evening for the next day, and the guy got back on the track. And um, you just don't want to get in their way, you know. <laughs> if it, if, right. Hey, can I hold the light for you? Is is about the it's about, it's about as good as it, that I could do to help them.
0: <laughs> right. Do you have a track that's local to you? If you did have your own car, you could go and do.
1: Oh yeah. There's there's uh, well, first of all, Circuit of Americas is here in Austin. That's where the NASCAR race was this weekend. So uh, that's here in my backyard. Um, and then about another. 20 minutes away from here is a track called Harris Hill, uh, Harris Hill Raceway. It's in San Marcos. And that's a great track to go to. I go there with Chris Taylor. Um, I just want to go out there and practice. So I'll meet him out there. He'll, He'll haul the car, you know, whatever it is, 20 miles to go to the track. And it's a local, like, club track. But he has a membership. So I get out there in his car, I may be the only one on the track for five or six hours just trying to get better, trying to get faster. So um, yeah, I definitely have some, some options. I w- there is another track here in the town that I just haven't gone to, but um, I, I just go to the ones that, that really Chris has a membership at. Actually.
0: So what, what's the next, are you going to stick with spec B for a while, get comfortable in that and then move up a class or you think you'll stay with this for a while?
1: I, wanted, I, want to, uh, I want to stay in v-spec, but I might also try to race another class at the same time. So there are people that do that. You jump out of one car and you jump into another. Um, it all boils down to money. You know. Um, until, until money is not an issue, um, in, in fact, it's so much of an issue right now. I'm not racing right now. I'm not racing right now to save money for, for the venture that I'm putting together but, um, I'm still really, really plugged in. And, uh, so that what I see happening in the future is more B-spec racing and then potentially trying out, um, some of this, this, um, Miata racing. And who knows, maybe I'll just like fall in love with that and, and want to do all my racing in a Miata. But I see that. I don't know. I don't know that I see much beyond that. Maybe, maybe like literally if money's not an object, uh, you know, who knows, maybe
0: a Porsche or something like that. And so talking about how expensive it is and funding, so you're taking a brief hiatus for a new venture, right? Yep. And so your, your passion for cars is turning into a business that's going to revolve around cars. So, yep. Tell me a little bit more about that.
1: Yep, so I started a company called Driven to Compete. And it's really exploring and um, celebrating the the competitive drives that we have. And specifically, I'm targeting um, race car drivers. And the idea there is to kind of draw out their stories. You know, there's always an entertaining story from a racer, made many stories, and to kind of hear the ups and the downs and everything they've been through and um, really build an audience of people who love that type of stuff. And it could be other racers or it could be fans. And I I wanna be able to to interview people at all levels in the racing community. And I really just want that to build up, to have a race community. And over time, my, my goal is to help serve that community and find ways that I can solve maybe issues that they have. So, um, but I'm not going to worry about that right away. Right now, what I want to do is just build the community and um, we'll see where that takes us.
0: That's really exciting. So you've got a podcast driven to compete, right? Yep. And so yep. You're, you already have podcast episodes up. I've actually listened to the first one that you posted. And uh, how many, how do, how do you see that going? Is it going to be mostly race car drivers? Most. Yeah,
1: mostly race car drivers. What sure. I may start getting into is I may get some opportunities to talk to owners of even auto parts companies. So I've been, I've been told that I have an introduction coming to me to somebody who owns a, a brake company in Charlotte. And so I hope that next week I'll be sitting down with him and a lot of these people have their own history. Maybe they did do some racing in the past, but now they're really focused on maybe one aspect of the racing community. So it it, it would be racers, former racers, or people that have um, some really close tie into the racing community. You know, another example is, I may end up interviewing officials who are in the leadership positions of some of these racing organizations. more than likely, all of them have raced, but maybe that's not been part of their life for many years. And there's a lot of information and stories that they could share as well. That
0: sounds great. I'd be really interested to hear from more racers. I can't even imagine how many stories people have. Crashes yeah. and failures and successes, and the struggle to get the cars ready for races, and you know, swapping a transmission out in between sessions. That sounds like a really, an entertaining podcast to listen to. Well, I,
1: I, hope, that it, I hope that it is for people. Um, like I said, I've just got a few interviews so far, but um, I'm going to be traveling the nation this year, going from one race to another at all the different tracks around the U.S. and interviewing as many drivers as I can. And typically when I go to see a driver, I ask for two or three more introductions. So, I kind of keep, keep that going. And, um, and, you know, really creating a platform so people can share their stories. And uh, that's, that's really what I want to do.
0: That's so exciting. I think you and I have a, we share a lot in common. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sharing stories also of car enthusiasts. That's why I have you on here. Mine's going to be more focused on the guys that are building cars because that's the world that I, I live in. Uh, I'm not not a racer, I, hopefully one day I can be. But you no, know, I, I, there's going to be a lot of a lot of things that we could do together in the future, where, you know, we can promote each other's brands and just make connections. and Just have fun. I think that's, that's the thing that, that you and I both want to do is just like, share the passion we have for cars and the industry and get people excited to go out there and drive and builds. And it's it's such a fun world to be a part of. And there's so many creative and interesting people. To interact with, and it's really exciting. I mean, you—you you recently just drove over a thousand miles for an interview, right?
1: Yeah, for those first four interviews, and I didn't know how many I was going to have. I—I I only had one person that said he was going to interview with me, and that was Chris Taylor, who was going—he was going to be there. He's going to be at the race, and he's—he's he's my team owner, so I knew I would get an interview with him. But everybody else, I kind of had to—I kind of had to ask and make it up as I go. And, uh, yeah, I was, I drove all the way to Rhode Atlanta from Austin. So that's, that's a 1200 mile trip. And tomorrow, tomorrow I get in the car and I drive, whatever it is, 13 or 1400 miles to, uh, VIR in Virginia. So, uh, but those, those are pretty far. I mean, um, in January of next year, I'll definitely be driving down to Florida to go to, they have races back to back in Homestead and Sebring. And then this summer, I plan to be driving out to uh, Wisconsin for uh, Road America, which is just one of the most beautiful tracks in the nation. And then I have several others earmarked um, that I'm going to try to get to. And there, you know, one's in Colorado. I don't know that I have any scheduled for California this year because that's even a longer haul. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, that's another that's a long race. Maybe that one's worthy of a flight rather than yeah. driving all the way across the country.
1: It is, but you know what? I have fun driving. I I I I I did my own version of the cannonball run on the way back from Atlanta. Um I I managed to, to travel eleven hundred and eighty miles in twelve hours and forty minutes with about an hour and 40 minute of it being for five or six stops to get gas. Wow. So yeah it, yeah, it was, it was moving. So it was, I, I enjoy driving. <laughs> as long as I'm not stuck in traffic, I enjoy driving. <laughs>
0: man, that's fun, man. You're, you're taking it seriously. I mean, you're right out of the gate and you're just, you're going for it.
1: Yeah. I'm, and, and what well, the coolest thing is I've, I've already had some people reach out to me, for sponsorship op- opportunities because they see what's happening. And, um, you know, I mentioned race teams, right? They have rent- they have cars they need to rent out and they need to be able to reach out to people that are fans of the racing community. Um, and, and you know, my podcast, your podcast are great examples for that, for people to get out to a very specific niche of people. You know, it doesn't do much good to advertise something like that randomly on Facebook. You know, you know you're not really going to connect with people that find passion in motorsports. So where do people find you? Um, they should go to my website, driventocompete.com. All the links are on there. If you are on Spotify or Apple podcast or whatever podcast you listen to, um, you can look up um, driven to compete and and I don't know if they do it with like no spaces between the words or not just try it both ways And um, but if you if you start with the website all the links are off there um, I even have a YouTube channel so all of my interviews going forward are going to be similar to this one there'll be video interviews that I'll have on YouTube and then the audio versions will be everywhere
0: awesome Moral well. Really fun to talk to you today, and I'm sure this won't be the last time we chat on here. Um, everybody that's interested in racing, go to check out Carrie's stuff. And uh, uh, if you're interested in joining a car club, check out the Webster Auto Collective and all the cool stuff we've got going on too. The goal is just to share the passion for automotive, everything, um, and get people excited to go race and build this thing and just spread the love. So, Thanks a lot, Carrie. Thank and, you. Uh, we'll, catch, we'll catch you in the next one. That
1: sounds great.